Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of, of glory and, the, and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and to continue to do good. While we're moving towards the uh, conclusion of the study of First Peter, I've come to love this little book. Uh, the major motif, as you know well by now, is the underlying theme of suffering. And uh, the Apostle Peter takes the time to write to five fairly significant geographical areas, as uh, pointed out in the first verse of the first chapter. And what he has to say is relevant to every generation in every part of the world. Perhaps we live in one part of the world that could be counted as those who, uh, who have experienced uh, by far the least amount of suffering uh, to this point. Uh, we never know what the future holds uh, for any country and how quickly things uh, can, can turn around. But, I, you know, we can be thankful for Canada and uh, people all around us uh, that basically we have the freedom to worship. And in, even as we're building our new church, you know, the, primarily that whole community, I've not heard one negative comment from our community. The whole community is with us. And when you walk among our community, they say, I was following the building, it's going up, and we're excited with you. And they may not have any connection at this point to TCC, but they're cheering us on. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that still happens in our world today and in our country and in our community. What we do experience is uh, personal suffering. Personal suffering. From the... Uh, trials and struggles that come our way personally. I mean, even if we live in nice houses, and even if we have little gadgets that are we're fully equipped with the high-tech end of the world, and uh, we keep connected, and we drive in air-conditioned cars with those built-in GPSs, you know, you can't get lost anymore, and all kinds of bells and whistles that still doesn't prevent us from encountering the struggles of life. And to believe that we shall get through this life by continually dodging the bullet of suffering is to live in a dream world. Sometimes we hope we can get through the week without experiencing some trial, some struggle. But to go through a whole month it hardly happens to any of us that we get through a month struggle-free, trial-free. We have some pushback from something in life, and such is the reality of life. Sometimes our trials are short-lived. 
and we're back on the road again. It's like, you know, you stop at the pit stop, they do some really quick things, and you're back out again, and it hardly seemed like you stopped. There are other times, which we'll see today, when the trial is more persistent and taxing, and it can just wear us down because it's so all-prevailing. And sometimes our suffering is uh, completely undeserved. That's what Peter wants to say as he mentions the word fiery trial in verse 12. It would seem that uh, Peter has reference to something rather specific as he writes to his Christian brothers and sisters who are spread through Asia Minor. Many of them suffering, of course, under the dictator, the emperor called Nero. You know, and as you just do any bit kind of reading about Nero, you learn he was about as wicked a guy as ever lived upon the face of this planet. He was often referred to as a madman, and he had no sense at all of the sanctity of life. It was just as easy for him to take a life as it was to have breakfast in the morning. I mean, you know, we're hearing about the cold, calculated murders connected with the drug trade in, in Mexico, and, excuse me for being so graphic, but 49 people beheaded last week. I mean, how could anyone think to do such a deed? How could anyone have the constitution to actually carry that off? Nero was like that. He murdered his way all the way to the throne of the great Roman Empire. The Romans had many gods, so you can imagine how relentless he was on on Christians who claimed that there was only one true God. Not the emperor and not the other Roman gods. There was one true God. So it may well be that the fiery ordeal that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 4 is a reference to the persecution that was coming out of Rome. So let's just take a look at this passage this morning and ask God that we would see the nugget of truth because I really believe that he's got a nugget for us. It may be different for all of us, but he's got something for us this morning that he wants us to hear. And so, Lord, uh, uh, to that end, we, we, we come this morning and we pray that we would hear your voice speaking very clearly through the writings of old, and we would know that you care for us and you walk with us through all the painful experiences of life. So give us assurance and give us hope today that as we're faithful to walk with you, that you are faithful to see us through. And so we listen for what you want to say today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always good to uh, learn from somebody who's been there and who has experienced the road. And Peter is our teacher, that old fisherman who walked with God faithfully over the years, and he knows what it's like to fail, and he knows what it's like to please the master. He has the battle scars on his body, to speak authentically, that he's been a servant and he is a faithful servant of Jesus. His, his words are powerful in this section, and you'll notice as we begin verse 12 that his words are specifically directed towards those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So this all needs to fit under the umbrella of to the believer, to the believer. And what Peter wants us to know generally about suffering is that we're not fireproof from it. So let's look at his words of instruction. They seem to kind of just come out of the text itself and they just kind of flow naturally. Number one, don't be surprised 
when you suffer. Verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. I mean, it's, it's true that sometimes we are surprised when trials and sufferings come into our lives. We say, where in the world did that come from? Like, I didn't do anything and all of a sudden this has visited me? And so we're surprised. There's a popular theology which is espoused by some which suggests that the sun always shines upon the Christians. That our grass is always green. (laughs) That it never turns brown. And that the spiritual temperature around us is always 10 out of 10. The teaching that Christians can live their lives and always dodge the bullet of suffering simply not true. Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trials come your way. We're at spiritual war with Satan himself. As long as the church has existed, Christians have suffered for their faith. Peter himself suffered greatly for his master. Tradition tells us that he was crucified on a cross upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same way as did his master Jesus Christ. In our day, not every country is like our country. There are people here this morning from other countries of the world who have come to Canada, but you understand this very, very well. There are countries that are called restricted, and there are countries that are called hostile. I simply went to the website of the Voice of the Martyrs, and here is their assessment of the countries of the world, and Stephen's going to put a little map uh, up on on the uh, screen. The countries in black are either restricted or hostile. Restricted means the government policy prevents Christians from obtaining Bibles or other Christian literature. Uh, It means that in these countries, Christians are harassed, imprisoned, killed, or deprived of possessions or liberty because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The hostile areas, this includes large areas and nations where governments declare freedom of religion in their laws, but in reality, they turn a blind eye when something happens to Christians, when someone burns their house down and persecutes them, when someone kills them, they say, we didn't see that. Hostile areas. Friends, hundreds of millions of Christians around the world today are suffering persecution for their faith. Most often it takes the form of imprisonment or abuse, hostilities. Sometimes it's scorn. Sometimes, as I say, it's prison or the loss of health. Sometimes even death itself. You can Google persecution of Christians today and you will read story after story of the fiery trials that Christians are facing in the year 2012. God declared war on Satan after the fall of man, Genesis 3.15, and Satan has been attacking God through his people. Satan has been attacking God through his people ever since. Jesus said to his followers that they should expect opposition and persecution from the world, John 15 and 16. But he also gave them an encouraging promise. He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. 
You're going to have all this stuff in this in your lifetime. You're going to see it all over the globe. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So Peter says, don't be surprised that the struggles and fiery trials come your way. We often hear that life is a classroom. How often have we said that, that life is a classroom? And God puts us in the classroom to learn. And what do you get when you go to school? You get exams. You get you get tests. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to go all through school? Wouldn't it be wonderful to go through college and university and never have to worry about an exam? And while we all might think it's a good idea, no one does it because you need to figure out a way to see what the student has learned. And after all these years, no one has come up with anything much better than an examination. The wonderful thing about tests in God's school, the tests that God allows to come our way right into our very classroom, is that we get to grade our own papers. <laughs> we get to grade our own papers. God doesn't allow the test to come so he can learn how well we're doing. He already knows. But he allows the test so we can learn how well we're doing. And then you can give yourself a grade as to the level of maturity. How am I doing? Remember the same test that came my way 10 years ago? And remember how utterly I flunked that test? Now here it is again in 2012. It's really, it looks very much the same as 10 years ago. How am I going to handle it this time around? So you can grade your own paper and see how the maturity process is coming along. Am I growing? So don't be surprised when you get a test or a trial that comes your way. Secondly, rejoice in your suffering. Now, this is always a tough one. We, we hit this one back in chapter 3, and here it is again, verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I, I love the New Living Translation, which says, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Uh, you know, I know, from, from an intellectual, from a cognitive perspective, suffering doesn't seem to give us any real ammunition to rejoice. Like, oh, rejoice in this? But I, I think it makes sense on a, an experiential basis. There is a joy that comes to us when we participate in the sufferings of Christ and we are treated by the world the same way it treated Christ himself. There is something that happens in that. We enter into a closer partnership with Christ when we suffer. Warren Wiersbe writes, not every believer grows to the point where God can trust him or her with this kind of experience. So we ought to rejoice, he says, when the privilege comes to us. I thought, Warren, where's me? You wrote that. Not every believer grows to the point where God can trust him or her with this kind of experience. So we ought to rejoice when the privilege comes to us. 
There is something that happens in suffering that is transformational. Perhaps correctly understood, God transforms suffering into glory. God transforms suffering into glory. And as we go through the suffering, God graciously brings us into an intimacy with himself through Jesus Christ. And you know, our Lord talked about the transformation in terms of a birthing process. And when he was getting ready to go to the cross, he gathered his disciples together and he told them that they were going to weep and they were going to mourn and their hearts were going to be broken because of what was coming their way. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Jesus said it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. John chapter 16, 19 to 21. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death and experiencing the resurrection. Have you ever gone through a, maybe a long trial, persecution, maybe even a physical affliction that you've had to carry? And in the midst of this, you said, because you thought of Jesus Christ and you, you thought of what he suffered, you said, oh, what I'm going through is so little compared to what Christ went through. Have you ever said that? There is a new appreciation for the suffering of Christ. Maybe, maybe you've been misunderstood these days. Maybe you've been on a bed of affliction. Maybe you are encountering turbulent seas in your home or in your business or in some relationship. And how difficult it is. You have a new appreciation for how others suffer. And you have a partnership, so to speak, with Christ. It's experiential. We share in the suffering. Remember in the book of Acts, when the apostles were spreading the word and the church had just been birthed and the apostles were brought before the Jewish court called the Sanhedrin, and they wanted to put the lights out in Peter's life and the rest of his brother's lives and, and uh, fellow apostles. And these apostles, in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, were troublemakers. They were they were just a crazy bunch. And Peter went through this, the same Peter that wrote this book. And remember, G G Gamaliel uh, spoke up, this wise elder statesman of the group. And he said, be careful. You could be fighting against God. If these men are from God, then you could be fighting God. If they aren't from God, then just relax. This movement will die out. Leave it alone. He said, my advice is to let these men go. So they called in the apostles, the Sanhedrin called in the apostles. And what did they do? They gave them a good scolding and a good beating. They beat them. And licking their wounds, 
blood pouring from the places where they had been beaten, Peter and his fellow apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They left rejoicing. Now, intellectually, that doesn't make sense. But, oh, they felt a partnership with Christ. They were delighted to share his suffering, and they found joy in giving everything to him, even their bruised and bleeding bodies. And then it says, and they just kept right on preaching the word, proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. They suffered, but they just kept right on going. What hearts they had for God. What attitudes they possess. Friends, if you've got people like that in your life, like the apostles, who have such a heart for God, such a heart to keep going for God, you've got the best friends in the world. And if you are one of those people, wow, people line up to be around you. They do. Thirdly, trials give us the opportunity to draw upon the resources of God. Where do you turn when you go through trials and struggles? Most of the people I've watched over the years kind of do a quick turn and come back to God. I've watched a few people when trials and struggles come into their life, they just head in the other direction, as far from God as possible. But most, God gets their attention and, and their hearts are get soft before God and they come back to God. Would you look at verse 14 with me? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ... You're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves before we get the picture. Do you ever find yourself praying that way for people? Lord, help them to get it. Help them to see how futile there are, their own resources are. And really come to the place in their lives where they're willing to cry out to you, Lord, whatever, whatever. I'll follow you whatever it means. I say yes. But often we're filled with pride and, and we're stubborn and we find it hard to give up. So sometimes I just find myself praying, Lord, bring him. Bring her to the end of the rope. So they finally get to see you. Just bring them to the end of the rope. As long as we think we can manage. I'm just fine then we will walk in spiritual weakness. But when we finally admit that apart from Christ we can do nothing, John 15, verse 5, we can begin to draw upon the power of God. When we're insulted for the name of Christ, God promises to provide strength by his Spirit. And so we are blessed. We are blessed even in the midst of unfair treatment. Are you reading from the New International Version? It says, For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Maybe you have the New Living Translation. So be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. Have you ever experienced that? You were insulted, you were criticized, you were smacked around, but you experienced the Spirit of glory upon your life. What is that? The Spirit of glory. The Holy Spirit has a special ministry to those who suffer for the glory of Jesus Christ. I really believe that. 
I really believe that. The Holy Spirit has a special ministry to those who suffer for the glory of Jesus Christ. That verse can be translated for the presence of the glory, even the Spirit who rests on you. And the reference is to the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 to 11. Remember that happened to Stephen? When the people stoned Stephen, he saw Jesus in heaven and he experienced God's glory. The religious leaders stirred up the people against Stephen. They criticized him and suddenly all of them were looking at Stephen. Right before their eyes, something was happening in Stephen's life, in fact, in his countenance. In Acts chapter 6, verse 15, it says, At that point, everyone in the council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as what? An angel. His face became as bright as an angel. And they had to stop their conversation. They had to just like, what is happening? God was honoring his servant. And the next chapter says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He had the spirit of glory, the spirit of God resting on him, the Shekinah glory. Friends, don't you think that's how martyrs could sing praises to God? All through these years, as they've been led to places of torment and, and death, it's the glory of God that became their mantle. It's the glory of God resting upon them. Peter says insults, trials are a way to depend upon God and to see how he marvelously provides. Fourthly, suffering is sometimes deserved. <clears throat> I won't spend a lot of time here because it's fairly obvious. Verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer <clears throat> or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Wow, you have to throw that in. So there is some suffering that we go through if we, if we follow in this step, these steps. Uh, obviously, there are consequences. We suffer for our actions. This week, Rafferty received his sentence for first-degree murder <clears throat> in the killing of an eight-year-old girl, Tori Stafford. He will suffer the rest of his life for this heinous crime. The punishment is brought on by himself. It is the consequences of his actions, and therefore he will suffer. He's not suffering for the witness of for God. He is suffering from his own evil ways. And perhaps Peter was saying to his Christian brothers and sisters in Christ that whatever comes our way, we must make sure that our actions are not damaging the cause of the gospel by the way we live. There is nothing more damaging to the glory of God and the growth of the gospel than the sins of his people, including leaders. It is a setback for the kingdom when our lives don't match our words. And then fifth, suffering doesn't mean feeling ashamed. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I wonder if Peter was thinking of himself when he wrote that. 
Remember how he denied Christ? He was intimidated. He came to the place in his life where uh, he was so disgusted with himself. But he says, uh, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is the one I look to now. And then years later, he regrets uh, and he says, when you suffer, don't be ashamed. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Excuse me. And then finally, trials and struggles are unique in their timing and their effectiveness. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If we as followers of Christ are tested and tried, what will happen to those who are not followers is what Peter is saying. When a follower of Christ suffers, he or she experiences glory, and there is the sense that greater glory is coming in the future. On the other hand, what happens to those who don't know Christ and don't have his grace and strength, and I don't know how they get through the trials that come their way. You know, even uh, God has allowed uh, churches to go through times of testing and trial. We sometimes forget that the enemy is uh, trying to divide and injure the body of Christ. And if we're not careful, uh, we can be available agents to help his cause. Pray for the body. Pray for strength, for unity, for commitment to one another uh, and to the Savior. God has called churches into existence. He has called this church into existence. We're not a social club. We're not just another organization. But God has called us to be the church of Jesus Christ. We have to figure out how to be effective in our community. But we never forget that we are the bride of Christ, that we are God's people who are on mission. And he doesn't call us to sit and soak and sour. He calls us to be alive to his spirit. He calls us to walk with him. So we close with verse 19. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. And friends, I want to just encourage you to saturate your heart this week in that verse because it's precious. If you're suffering in a way that is bringing honor to God, just keep on doing what is right. Do what is right. And if you're wavering, Peter says, just trust your lives to God who created you, and he'll never fail you. God has created you. He watches over you. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle and your suffering. And he'll never fail you. So just keep on doing what is right.